This is the I'm Stuff Podcast, a podcast for disordered eating, eating disorders, and hormone problems. I'm your host, Queenie June Borgman, and in today's episode, episode 12, we have an interview with Ronnie Robinson and her first book, Out of the Pantry. So guys, before I start this podcast with the interview, I thought it would be good to have a bit of an introduction. So I'm interviewing Ronnie Robinson. She just published a book on the 6th of August. She worked four years on it. You know, it's a memoir. She is going back in a time when she had disordered eating without even knowing it. And it is such an interesting book. It is available on Amazon and Amazon Prime, of course. And it's $14.99 the paperback, so in dollars, and $4.99 the ebook. I wanted to say with that that this episode is especially for people who have like binge eating tendencies, are secret eaters, and if you have that, then this interview is for you. The funny thing is that. I've been editing editing the interview and it wasn't really a lot I needed to do. Just, you know, put something together or where we were maybe like stumbling a lot. And uh, I just like rerun the whole interview and listen to it again. And it just shows how interesting, in my opinion, this book is. Because she sent it to me up front and... Of course, as a good interviewer, you read your book. So that's what I did. And I was like blown away how, you know, how much similarities there were in the book. And if I've written this, you know, if I got this book maybe six years ago, it would be so different maybe on how I would be in recovery. So, yeah, I really hope you like this interview. My apologies that it is so long, but you know, if time flies and you're having a good time, and in this case it's the, a good interview, uh, yeah, it, it's gonna be a bit longer, but it won't disappoint you, I promise you. So enjoy this episode, and yeah, you know, everything is in the description of the episode, so if you want to know, you know, want to see, find the link of this book if you yeah want a description about the amazon again you can just find it there and yeah enjoy um thank you that this is possible i really enjoyed your book oh thank you so much sorry and the funny the funny thing is that normally and i i was talking with friends about this because i'm always like a person who really likes to you know read books with facts and stuff i can use stuff i can help other people you know uh with their journey either you know for health benefits because i'm a dietitian and it's always very much science based but this was a book that was all about feelings and about a certain journey and I think for people who either have disordered eating or eating disorders, um, we all know, you know, how we can, depending on where you are and which form of eating disorder, you can fix the physical part, but the mental part is very unique, how you experience stuff. And I do believe we all have a connection somehow with that, because when I was reading it, I was really like, oh God, you know, I like certain things I could identify, you know, with myself, what made me more wanting to read all the chapters. Ah, thank you. I'm glad it I'm glad it made you feel that way. It was really, you know, something that would for 
persons who you know have dealt with this keep on reading the book because eventually you have 15 chapters and mm -hmm. your book is actually it goes very you know smooth it isn't like a painful to read that i had with a lot of other books so that made it very nice to you know go through that um i have thank some questions for you and thank god we're calling through instagram now and not with zoom because it, <laughs> there's like this time limit with zoom and it's like 40 or 45 minutes and the questions i made for you i was like if you want to give you know a good answer this 40 eh, 40 minutes and you know and starting up and stuff like that maybe it's going to be too short but um I think we're going to do just fine with the amount that we can do now. Maybe yeah. I should stop talking and you should introduce yourself. <laughs> okay. Um, I didn't think you were talking too much, but um, so I'm Ronnie Robinson. Um, I'm 52, which is crazy. Um, I have uh, two kids who next week we are sending off to college. I'm going to be an empty nester for the first time, which like just blows my mind. Um, I just, uh, my book, um, Out of the Pantry, A Disordered Eating Journey, just came out uh, last week, um, and it basically depicts my story of um, 30 years of compulsive overeating and binging and emotional eating and stress eating, um, and now I'm over 12 years recovered, mm -hmm. and the book sort of just depicts that whole journey um, and, you know, during those 30 years, I didn't even know I had an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back in, I know you're younger than me, so back in the day for me, um, and also I still think a lot of people think this way. You're either, you know, eating disorders or either anorexic or you're bulimic. Yep, and I that. didn't fall in, yeah, mm -hmm. and I didn't fall into either of those categories, so it never occurred to me, you know, that I had an eating disorder. Um, I just thought I was kind of like a pig. Um, for 30 years and just stuffed my face all the time, despite being full, you know, mm -hmm. just, that was just me. That was how I rolled, you know? Yeah, I, I truly get that. I think a lot of people, uh, don't, uh, take the, they just think this is it. Sometimes people just think this is it. This is never going to change. Or they don't take the moment, you know, to really look critical at their behavior and be like, oh, this could be more. So yeah, I, right. I get that. Yeah. Uh, and 30 years is a long time and I read the book and it when I when I read the intro it was it, it took you four years to write the book right or it, yeah and how come four years um, well it wasn't four years straight it was um, four years I from start to finish I sometimes had to put the book aside mm -hmm. um, because I needed to I have been a, a writer um, since I was uh, about 18. Mm -hmm. So I was a reporter and I wrote feature stories, but writing those, and I've been doing that for, you know, decades also, um, but doing that is very different than writing a memoir. So yeah. sometimes I would have to put the book down and just take the time to learn how to write memoir. I was reading them. I was reading books about how to write them. Mm -hmm. um, so there was times where I was trying to learn, times where I would maybe get some feedback and it's, 
often the case in the writing world where once you get feedback, it's very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's not what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. um, and you just have to sort of step away. You have to go, okay, you know what? I'm going to put this down. I'm going to come back to it in a week or, or a month. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, sort of look at it with fresh eyes after you sort of absorbed um, the information that you were given. Yeah, I get that. I, I think, of course, you know, it's also very heavy because uh, all those emotions that you maybe haven't dealt with uh, for a long time, for 12 years, it's coming back again. You need to like remember how and what. When I look at my story and that it started eight years ago, it's for me eight years back and I'm still like, uh, sometimes I just don't have the, you know, the chronicle part of the story anymore because it was so everywhere and yeah right yeah I, I get that um yeah totally your book is called out of the pantry um as the person that has read it i know what it i think i know what it means <laughs> but um, <laughs> what does the title out of the pantry means to you um it, it's actually twofold um for one thing it was sort of to be it was supposed to be kind of like a reference to like out of the pantry closet. I was outing myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this was a very shameful um, thing that I was doing. I mean, all this um, compulsive overeating and binging was always in secret, never in front of everybody. All the evidence, you know, mm -hmm. was always hidden. Um, and then even in early recovery, before I started writing the book, um, so that was eight years, I still only really told my husband, my daughter and just a few close friends because it was it was really shameful for mm -hmm. me it was you know embarrassing to think how much food i was consuming mm -hmm. and that um i also you know wasn't i wasn't able because of the obsession with food i wasn't able to be fully in other friendships and things mm -hmm. and and that was all it was just so embarrassing to say to somebody yeah, um, I was thinking about when I was talking with you at the party the other day, um, I couldn't wait to get away from you because I wanted to go yeah. eat dessert. So it was it was just all very embarrassing and shameful. Um, and, and also, I think, too, I, I waited a while because I wanted it to feel I wanted to make sure that my recovery was real and that it was, um, you know, uh, authentic and that it was here to stay. I don't know if you, I'm assuming that you have Oprah Winfrey uh, uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah. Oprah, yes. Okay. Yeah. Years ago, um, she she had this very popular show. I mean, she battled her weight yeah. for a while. I know. And, and I remember, I remember she pulled out. Uh, she was like in a black turtleneck and her black jeans, and she pulled out a wagon with six on her show with sixty pounds of fat on it, and mm -hmm. she, you know, like just icky fat. And she was like, I've lost this off my body. And she was so proud of herself. And then, unfortunately, as we know, she didn't stay that way. Yeah. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to, like, write a book about this. And then I'm back to compulsive overeating again. Yeah. So I needed to make sure that think I was stable and I was really solid. Um, and, uh, and we have some audio problems. Um, so I was, and then second... You know the real um literal thing like no longer face in the pantry and that was my whole life was my face in the pantry or the refrigerator mm -hmm. um so kind of two meetings there great question. <laughs> I, I get that because uh i remember like starting this podcast and for the first time you know uh, i've 
helped clients throughout the time with weight loss and stuff like that but i never really like and didn't even want to like come near things of eating disorders because i had such a negative experience with it and i find it very heavy because uh at the end of the day you get like emotional connection with people stuff like that and i found it also very risky yes. because in the time that i was uh yeah actually i just graduated but in the time that i was studying i didn't want to like talk about eating disorders if i wasn't sure of myself that i could handle it and if i, if I wasn't sure of myself that i could yeah. handle people the way they are when having an eating disorder so i remember that um, sure. when i was on a low weight and i had the hormone pro uh, problems afterwards uh, because of that uh, i was sitting with my dietitian and i was getting binges because of my physical part not really because of the mental part but I, she was like, okay, but what do you eat then? And that was actually the moment, and I almost <laughs> never cried until then, that I really was crying like, I'm so ashamed for this part because this isn't really me. I've never had any problems in the past with food and stuff like that. And this came from my body, and I did not, like, get that. So after I was sure that yeah. that part was away, and... Also, I graduated, it gives you know, a lot of relief and more room. I was more focused and more sure of myself that I could help people with these problems. So I really get that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great journey for you. And your uh, motivation, because of course you could keep this story to yourself, you know, you could keep it to yourself, maybe tell it to your daughter and or daughters, daughter or daughters actually. Just one. Just one, okay. One daughter, one son. Yeah, tell it to your daughter and uh, that's it. But you chose to uh, tell it to other people. Why? Um, I thought it was really important to pay my recovery forward. Mm -hmm. um, I, I learned um, over the past two years, I actually came out and started writing mm -hmm. about the eating disorder and the recovery. And... The one, well, it was, it's sad, but at the same time, wonderful. There was a, a side effect of people reaching out to me privately mm -hmm. who would say, oh, my God, I totally related to your article. I could have written the article. Um, and I found that so many people are suffering, um, you know, with eating disorders. Yeah. And um, I was able, thank goodness, I was at a place now where I could offer advice and, and try to help them. And I, I kind of finally realized, you know, around the age of 50, oh, I think I figured out what I'm going to be when I grow up. You know, mm -hmm. um, I'm, I can help people. Um, you know, I, you know, the, I think the, the message of the book is that, um, for me anyway, is that, you know, I'm just an average person, just like you. You can see my struggles and what I went through, and mm -hmm. I'm sure that in some in some ways they're very similar to other people's. Um, but if I can recover, you know, anybody can. Um, mm -hmm. It's possible, and you can get to the other side. Like it really. So I just like it was, you know, sort of my. So sorry, it, it was just my way of sort of. Um, I think just you know putting out my hands, you know, mm -hmm. the figuratively to others and. Let me help you pull you across and you can get to the other side too. Hopefully you can learn, you know, by reading books that, you know, I'm sure you feel as well when they resonate and they speak to you, 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 there's some healing that gets involved, you know, that you start to feel and hope and, you know, that you can also, you know, get your way through to recovery. 
uh, when I was reading it, I had the, you know, the connection part. So what I just stated before that there is something with eating disorders that if you have had it, there are some stories that are similar that I was looking uh, when reading the book and I was like, oh, I get this. And uh, for me, when I was reading it, it was really like um, I was if I would be back in the stage that I was way back, uh, this book would really like help me not to feel alone. Maybe it sounds strange, yeah. but it isn't something oh, yeah. you'd like talk about with your random friend of high school or university. You know, I have this and this and this is going on. It's always like very kind of shallow depending on how good friendships are and it was was like a book that you know that could really like support me way back <laughs> sadly it's just out now <laughs> but uh yeah. with, with uh oh this is like this is shit that people deal with and not only me right exactly yeah that was huge for me um as well when i uh just uh learned that i you know by googling that night um, when I heard Compulsive Overeater on mm-hmm. television, um, it's sort of for the first time ever. And, and you know, I, I I may have heard it at some other point, but it just didn't hit me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, we're open, we're open to things at a certain time for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, when, when I first went on Google and started putting in Compulsive Overeating and so forth, and Overeaters Anonymous was very prevalent, mm-hmm. um, I was blown away that there was a website devoted to this because I thought it was just me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did feel alone. I had no idea. I was, I remember just, I think one of the biggest feelings I had was just like, there's a website about this. Are you kidding me? And there were probably others as well, but that was Overeaters Anonymous was the main mm-hmm. one. And I couldn't believe that there's a website devoted to overeating. I can't, believe it um and then you know taking it further when i started to go to the meetings and i saw you know i was sitting in a room full of all these people who were different ages and sizes men women everything you know totally different the gamut of economic status everything mm-hmm. all these people were also obsessed with food yeah and again to just know that i was not alone and um that other people had these crazy obsessive thoughts about food um and there was healing in in knowing you weren't alone and that um you know i hate to say misery loves company but you know just just okay. to kind of it, 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 you know it kind of makes you feel a little better that it's not just you I get that. Uh, the first time or way back when I was, you know, searching stuff about this in Holland uh, or the Netherlands, we have Proud to Be Me. And that's a site that is devoted uh, for eating disorders, but also, you know, how you feel if you're insecure, stuff like that. And that is a very good site that we have. But this disease is actually around for thousands of years. You know, uh, people of the royal family had it. Uh, way back in Egypt, there there were you know, really? yeah there were already like uh, signs of eating disorders and stuff like that. And I can only imagine because you were like in a transfer time of having internet, uh, internet, no internet, that the information was limited, so you could oh yeah couldn't find you know the way that I could now you know type in proud to be me and you get all the information that you you know you didn't have that. So that is. Uh, for me, it, already thinking about it, it would be awful because um, then you're just you and your thoughts. So that's 
Yeah, and really hard to recover that way. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, one of the um, one of the uh, the tagline when I started as part of my recovery, um, I, as I mentioned in the book, I started a blog mm -hmm. um, and I wrote anon anonymously. Mm -hmm. um, I just needed brain dump, you yeah, know, all these that. crazy, yeah. you know, as I was as I was beginning to recover. And um, I one of the things that they say in AA or Alcoholics Anonymous mm -hmm. that I used as my tagline is you are only as sick as your secret. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be so true. And to your point, I can't imagine, you know, what people did years ago yeah. when, you know, there was no support um, and you just had to keep this all to yourself. And I imagine, you know, there was a lot less, first of all, the same or even worse shame mm -hmm. um, and a lot a lot less recovery because you you know who talked about it you know yeah. you didn't it's not something you really really talk about to people and people who were normal quote unquote normal eaters mm -hmm. they don't understand yeah. um, they would say just stop eating stop eating so much you yes, know well yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah if I would have a penny every time that would be <laughs> what has been said but you know it's not that easy you know logical logics only work when it's logical but if it's not logical anymore everything falls apart about something being logical so if people cannot understand it it's out of you know it's it falls apart immediately for people to understand it that sounds maybe a bit strange how i say it now yeah. but <laughs> but uh sometimes when it's not logical people cannot true. resonate with it and then it's error and they cannot you know go in your thoughts and understand that. Um, I'm going to ask you something that maybe was something that was very much, you know, when I just saw the cover of the book uh, and reading the story, one thing didn't really connect for me. And that was, uh, you call it a disordered eating journey, but why was it an eating disorder journey? Um, really, it was just, the title it was just the wording that mm -hmm. um uh was i thought about and an editor and i talked about and we just thought it sounded better that's all mm -hmm. <laughs> nothing 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 deep about nothing deep about that just you know how it sounded that's all <laughs> okay that's more because of, always when i use the word disordered eating it's uh, a bit more different for me than eating disorder because disordered eating for me could also be that uh, i'm afraid to eat uh, any other food and only eat fries or potatoes. So for me, it was like, right. ah, okay. But that is maybe the dietitian standpoint. No, you're right. <laughs> because no, there's definitely a different. There's disordered eating behaviors, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. then there's an eating disorder. So you're right. There, there are there are definitely two different things. Um, we just chose that because we just thought it sounded better. <laughs> mm -hmm. It does sound better. That is true. It does sound better. <laughs> Thank um, you. I think I'm going to go a bit more into the details of the book, but not a lot because, of course, there's 15 chapters. The last five I chose not to ask you, so the first 10 are a bit, you know, to give a little bit of sneak peeks and stuff like that. And in one of the first chapters, I understood by, as a reader, that you talk a lot about your mother in the book and you're like comparing the... Uh, you know, the the um, relationship you had with your mother in comparison to a friend that had a relationship with their mother and it wasn't that cozy, not so bonding. Uh, do you think that 
that relationship that you had with your mother was more like uh, giving you a chance for disordered eating or an eating disorder? Um, absolutely. Um, I, I tried very hard to not make the book seem aggressive towards her mm -hmm. and I didn't want it to bash her. Um, I, that wasn't the point of the book. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to show how my environment and my family life um, contributed, but I really, you know, it was my parents. It was primarily my mother. They had a, you know, we had a dysfunctional home. Um, and, um, I didn't know it at the time, of course, and mm -hmm. I didn't know until I went to therapy and was able to look back at it. Um, I mean, you know, the home you grow up in is your normal and that seems, you know, regular to you. Um, although, like I said, when I would go to other friends' houses and their moms were so interactive and they were so warm and kind and loving and, um, you know, just even something as silly as having like I mentioned, you know, family photos on the wall. Our mm -hmm. house, we didn't have photos on the wall. Like, how weird is that? Um, and, um, yeah, my mother, just just by nature, it wasn't her fault. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't intend to be this way, and I know that. She just wasn't warm and fuzzy, and um, let's, she didn't, her and my father, neither of them stressed the importance of family and of kindness and I'm here for you and you're you're terrific and you can do anything. It's just that I was, um, you know, and, and maybe another child would be different, but the type of kid I was, I needed that bonding and mm -hmm. I needed that emotional, you know, reinforcement. I needed somebody who was going to be loving towards me. Um, mm -hmm. And my, my mother's just wasn't, my mom just isn't wired that way. And nor was my father. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have, um, in either of them, I didn't have a strong role model mm -hmm. of somebody who I wanted to, I want to be just like them or, you know, I, neither of them were those type of people. Uh, and they also weren't, there for me um mm. it wasn't ever known that you know um you know oh you look like you know you've had a rough day today let's sit down and talk about it you yeah. know there was no talking about anything um i mean even like i mentioned in the book when i um you know when i was uh in my upper teens and i was had a serious boyfriend yeah. i went and put myself on birth control pills my mother you know i don't know whether she figured I took care of it or she just wanted to put her head in the sand mm -hmm. and think that I wasn't doing it. But that was very indicative of the relationship. She just, I was on my own. Mm -hmm. She didn't tell me I was on my own, but I just, clearly I was, and I just had to take care of things for myself mm -hmm. um, because there wasn't going to be that conversation. Um, you know, even, Hey Ronnie, be safe. You know, I, you know, there just, there just wasn't. And, and like I said, I, She's like that. I, um, it wasn't her fault. You know what I mean? She didn't mean to do that. I know she, nothing was ever done. She wasn't warm and loving because she was withholding it from me. She just didn't know how to act that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and maybe like I said, some other child wouldn't need that and they would be fine and not have developed the need to have a coping mechanism that I did. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's how I was. I mean, when reading that, I always um, try to like uh, go back in time with my head when I'm like looking from why did I do what I do? 
and what has it you know which external factors were there like that made me maybe do that and i totally agree with you know your parents being a very big role in how you cope with stuff how you uh, treat other people or how you treat yourself of course and i also like see i of course you know i always wanted to say like i think every family has well you know has something dysfunctional almost right. uh but um it's also how it, you know, how sensitive you are, how much impact does it have you, what type of person are you? And I know it's right. same like you, you're stating like, you maybe needed that more. I also have that with my mom that sometimes we're very close, but things like, for example, like bird control, boyfriend, stuff like that. I'm not close with her either on that, you know, part. So it really does have an impact, although you maybe will see it much later. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, at the time that was, again, that was just my life. I, I don't, I didn't say to my friends, did your mother talk to you about, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just what I, that was my life. And I, you know, I didn't know at the time that there was anything wrong with that. And I also didn't know that I was coping with food because of that. It Mm -hmm. was just, I just thought that I loved food and I ate tons and tons of it, no matter how full I was. I just thought that was my life and that was me. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I'm now looking at two screens, so if I don't look at you, my <laughs> apologies. Um, well, the the up following question, but you already told a bit about your dad. The up following question was: Did the interaction between your parents had an influence on your disordered eating? So not so much you to your dad or to your mother, but they maybe bickering stuff like that. Definitely, yeah. So not, he, he actually might have been a little more loving than my mother, but um, not, not necessarily in a healthy way. Um, for instance, I played sports all growing mm-hmm. up, and my dad would give me these, even I recognize as over-the-top compliments. Ronnie, you're the best one out there. Well, I wasn't the best one. You know what I mean? I, I knew, um, but it was, so it became, you couldn't believe anything that he said. I mean, I realized he was proud, and maybe that's what he felt, you know, that I was so wonderful, um, but it was very non-authentic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in addition, he was kind of a jerk. Um, him and my mom, um, he was very... Um, as I stated in the book, he was, uh, he was never wrong. He never said anything wrong. He never did anything wrong. Um, which is really difficult to live with somebody who can never say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. So him and my mom would fight and she would inevitably always back down because there was no winning with him. He would never say, you know what? You made, you have a good point there. Yeah. You Mm -hmm. know, there was, um, so he obviously had his own issues the way for the reason that he couldn't have a real conversation with somebody and mm-hmm. not have it blow up into this big angry thing and to see how they interacted together uh, um you know also laid the groundwork for me to go oh this is what marriage looks like um so it was just all dysfunctional so i wouldn't say you know i mean my mother hid cookies from me without telling me one thing about it never saying you know ronnie I think you're eating too many cookies or, you know, Ronnie, I think you're, we need to, you need to make healthier choices. There was never a discussion. She just hid food from me mm-hmm. and, you know, I just had to deal with it. Um, you know, and because I was my mother's daughter, I didn't argue. I didn't, um, 
I didn't have anything to say. I just sort of accepted things how they were, and then I ended up going and buying it myself in huge quantities and, and so forth. I, I so, get that. I, I think um, that the moment you see... Uh, for me, it's a bit the same because I see the interaction of my parents as well, and I'm now 25, and it uh, depends a bit on your mindset. Sometimes I'm like, okay, that is something I would really like to have in my relationship, but I also know that if there are things that aren't that, uh, you know, chill that I find with them in their interaction, I am always trying to say to myself, you know, although that is their type of interaction later on, it will not be my type of interaction. It is, you know, there are more options out there. And that's always right. what I'm trying to like tell myself because, um, yeah, otherwise it, it shows that this is it. And <laughs> it wouldn't yeah. be, you know, for them it's great. They're like 44 years married or so, I think, yeah, about around that. And um, that's their dynamic, but I could not bear their dynamic if it was my marriage. <laughs> so. Absolutely not. And, it, and I think also to applaud you, I think that's very wise that you already recognize, you know, years ago apparently recognized that this is not healthy and this is not what I want. Where I um, was uh, just... I don't know what the word is, whether I was naive or gullible, but I was almost brought up to be a doormat, right? I was given, my parents didn't instill, instill any sense of self-confidence or self-esteem or just, you know, the sense that I deserve to be treated well. Mm -hmm. um, that's not what was shown to me or told to me. So I ended up going into an abusive um, relationship and marriage for eight years because mm -hmm. I was just perpetuating what I saw, so where you saw, okay, time out, I do not, that's great that that's for you, I don't want that for me, yeah. I never, I never had that, um, I just, can you know, because you obviously have a greater sense of self, or self-esteem, self-confidence, um, I, I didn't have that, and um, I just walked right into a relationship where I let this guy abuse me, um, you know, regularly. And I, I think there was always something, there was always that deep down um, uh, thought inside me, that struggle of, is, is this right? Is this really the way it's supposed to be? Mm -hmm. Are we supposed to really be fighting like this? Should I always be crying like this? Is this normal? Um, but then he would always be able to say, um, my ex-husband would always be able to say to me the right thing. And I was just so easily manipulated because I wasn't strong. I didn't have a backbone, you know, I wasn't brought up to be like, you are not taking shit from anybody, you know, mm -hmm. like, I wasn't taught that at all. And in fact, I saw my mother receiving it all the time and never doing anything. So that seemed normal to me. So I really, you know, for off and on for those eight years, there was so much questioning on my part, and I would get up the courage to break up with him, and then, as you saw, I would, he would just say the right things, and I'd be like, okay, you know, um, and he said horrible things to me when we did break up, and then I got back together with him, like, it's, you know, it's, it's really embarrassing, quite honestly, that, that, um, I let somebody treat me like that. And that was one of the things also when the book came out, um, I was I was really embarrassed about that. You know, I mean, I brought my daughter up to be strong and independent and, you know, um, and I never, it, it, though I wasn't this type of 
person, it came very easy for me to be very warm and loving to my kids. That was just mm -hmm. my natural inclination. Um, and they knew all the time how wonderful I thought they were and how, you know, they're amazing people and I'm so proud of you and you can do anything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, all these things that weren't instilled in me, um, I wanted to instill in them. And I think also one of the things I really learned probably in the last few years, probably in writing the book, which I think was really a big, big moment, was that... Um, you know, I was looking at how I felt towards my kids, and I love them fiercely, fiercely. I mean, they're they're 18 and 20, so they're like icky teenagers now, <laughs> yet I still want to, like, eat their toes, you know what I mean? Like, I mm -hmm. still want to, like, ugh, I can't get enough of them, right? Um, and then I think to myself, wow, this is how I feel about my kids. What was wrong with me that my mom didn't think that about me? Mm. And I, I think that maybe that was a, really at the core of everything, right, is I, I know how I feel strongly I feel about my children. What was wrong with me? Mm -hmm. why, why couldn't my mom feel that way about me? What, what did I do wrong? What, why was, what was wrong with me? And then I, you know, I eventually learned that it was her. It was her problem. It wasn't me. I am lovable. And, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it, was, it was her. It was her. And, I, you know, that was, that was really huge to kind of grasp that. Because I think most children, when they are in any kind of relationship like that, they do think they did. You know, we're all we're people pleasers, right? We want to please our parents so bad. That's yeah. how we're all. And yet I couldn't seem to get any gushing and loving and oh my goodness you're great you know from my mother mm -hmm. um so but that really played a big role that's always very i think circular in you know when there's a problem or when you you feel out of balance or what you just stated what always happened with what happened to you that's always often the kids doesn't matter how old you are that you like bring it back to yourself because yeah. am i the core of the problem or and that is uh yes that is so yeah it's, it's shitty that that happens but i think a lot of people can relate to that as well and also what you just stated before with the abusive relationship when you're like it's so stupid of me that I let that happen to me, but there are a lot of people that maybe are listening or, you know, do not really even have, you know, the, the same like story as in having disordered eating, but they get in an abusive relationship and in that time you're in this type of flow that you just can't, you know, pinpoint it, but you know there's something wrong and eventually when you step out of it, you look back and you're thinking, you know, holy, what the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, although there there is some shame in that in that, and also of course in the disordered eating, it's also something a lot of people face. So. Oh yeah, and, and and unfortunately much worse. I mean, my abuse, you know, bordered a little bit on physical, but never got to be physical mm -hmm. abuse. Um, I was more emotional. Um, but you know, there's plenty of women out there who, you know they're treated horribly and they actually are physically abused and they feel it's their fault or that they deserve it mm -hmm. um, which is just such a shame yeah and sometimes i feel like um you know physical abuse what i always like say that you know a verbal uh, abuse that sticks and physical you know it can heal but if it goes too far you may not live to 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 yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah yeah it's scary um 
I'm going to jump on a very different subject, maybe a bit lighter than what we're just talking about. But uh, the main food item I felt in the book were the cookies. If you look at your relationship with that item back then and now, what has changed? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, back then, things like cookies and brownies were you know, they were kind of like holy grails for me. I loved them. I couldn't get enough of them. I, I stuffed them in my face. Um, um, I, I, I don't think I knowingly, like, felt, oh, oh this is love, but I had to have them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I often would joke that they're my kryptonite, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't stay away. Um, and now in recovery, um, do I still like cookies and brownies? Yes, of course I do. But they don't have any power over me. Mm -hmm. um, they don't rule me. I'm not obsessed with them. Um, and I can have one or two, and I can eat it in moderation, and it doesn't, there's no trigger involved. It's just a normal, you know, again, quote unquote normal, such a, a tough word, but. Um, it's I can just have one or two and I'm I'm satisfied it's it's um you know it was going from living to eat I used mm -hmm. to live to eat the cookies and the sweets and now I eat to live mm -hmm. it's you know what I'm what's going to fuel my body what's best for me um and my digestive system and for my workouts um you know what's good for me now um and I think that's because I really strongly believe that because I was able to heal with therapy, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I recognized my childhood issues, right? They, the therapist helped me to learn that. I was able to process it. I was able to just embrace it and accept it. Um, and I was able to, um, the therapist helped me heal that part. So the little girl inside me got, was healed, um, mm -hmm. you know, so, and the, just as an example of that, so I'm, I've been, um, you know, with my husband now, uh, it's our 23 year anniversary is coming oh, up nice. next month. Um, thanks. And, um, you know, but for the first 10 years of it, mm -hmm. I was still binging and compulsively overeating and doing these things behind his back. So I had an amazing life. My husband's amazing. My kids are healthy and beautiful and I have an amazing life that, you know, what could possibly, you know, what could be wrong, yet I was still compulsively overeating. So mm -hmm. though everything was great, my inner child, I had these unresolved issues from my childhood, and that's why I was still binging and compulsively overeating and emotionally overeating. And since those things are healed now, food doesn't have any power over me anymore. Um, and I really... I really think that, that that was the key for me. And when I see people, um, you know, or talk to people and interact with people who are still struggling, I really believe that it is just something from your childhood that's unresolved, that hasn't been addressed, that you may not even really be aware of. Um, and that, you know, I wouldn't have been aware of my issues had I not gone to a therapist mm -hmm. and, you know, they're trained to help me with that. So um, when I see people who are struggling still, I really feel it's, I kind of recommend, um, you know, have you talked to somebody about this? Yeah. Somebody who, who's trained to help you dig into that past and find out what it was. Because I'm not sure that you can ever have a proper relationship with food unless you've dealt with 
the reasons that gave you problems with food. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, yeah, so you, uh, I think that's in a positive note, but you do recommend therapy when something is going wrong with food and stuff like that. You're nodding yes, so yes. yes. <laughs> absolutely, okay. absolutely. And I know people don't like to hear that because I think it's getting better these days, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, there's always been a stigma associated with therapy. Uh, but I think over time, um, especially more recently, that's gotten to be less of a stigma, like, oh, you're going to therapy. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, really, I really believe, you know, when people are, trying to use willpower and they're trying to white knuckle it mm -hmm. i think you're you haven't dealt you unfortunately um haven't dealt with your issues because your life shouldn't be about white knuckling the cookies that are on the counter or mm -hmm. you know your life shouldn't be about all right i gotta have willpower or i need to not eat that you yeah. know um that's uh you know maybe in the beginning of recovery that's what you need to do um but once you're recovered, there's no more, you know, food, just like I said, I keep using the word food having power over you, but that's that really is, what it yeah. is. And, you know, an, and an eating disorder is about control, right? We're trying to yeah. control things around us. So an anorexic feels strong and powerful because they're controlling how much food's going in their body. Um, and somebody who's um, compulsively overeating or binging, they're, they've got, they've, they're controlling how much food they're putting in. They're not, they can't control any, look, in life you can't control really much of anything, mm -hmm. uh, but you can control how much food you're putting in your body. Yeah. So, um, uh, I think that, uh, that was, uh, you know, having that, what we think is control, you know, we're giving power to food, mm -hmm. um, to, help us in some way or to bring order or control to our lives mm -hmm. and, and that's not the case it's not about the food at all <laughs> so often uh when i uh, talk to people uh either it is eating disorder related or weight loss or stuff like that it's funny that you just use the word willpower and sometimes i use motivation as well because uh when recovering or when having a goal or stuff like that you know willpower and motivation it always sounds like something that can you know that yeah in, in dutch we say it gaat op so it's something that you either have a lot of a little bit of or not and it also sometimes can be an excuse for not going through with recovery or not getting to your right. goals because i have a lot of people that say you know i don't have the willpower anymore i don't have the motivation anymore so i can do it and that is uh for me as a person who's trying you know trying to get you out of your problem it's always like uh, something I make clear at the beginning when I work with people. We don't work with willpower, we don't work with motivation because these things, you know, they can go away at any moment and it's for you the biggest excuse ever not to go through with recovery because when there is a fitness goal, when there is a recovery goal, consistency is there to lead you out. Of course, there will be some backlashes and you have some good days and bad days, but having that consistency mindset of trying to nurture yourself and get yourself out of this problem is always in my eyes the mo most important because then you're yeah putting up a frame that is so much more healthier and then what you just described you know going on your whole life with do i have motivation do i have willpower just for food it's crazy to like to work with that and uh, telling yourself you need that around food 
It's exhausting, right? Yeah. I mean, how, you know, putting so much time and effort into thinking about food or controlling yourself around food when there's just so much more to life yeah. um, than thinking about food and having your willpower, you know? It, it puts some... It, it puts tension indirectly without people noticing around food. That is what I always find. So... Uh, if I was sitting next here to, you know, I'm sitting next to chocolate peanuts for it at the moment, but I am not, you know, really like busy with it. And is it, if I was talking to you at the moment and I was like, I can't have those peanuts, my whole like, you know, distraction would go to, to those peanuts and I would not be in the moment talking with you, just like you stated at the beginning of this interview, you know, you just, you know, are like two persons or something. It's crazy yeah. how that works. Uh, I wonder then, because of the cookies, what we're talking about, how did you like, of course your kids had cookies and brownies and stuff like that, but how did you do it in your household? Um, you mean when my kids were little? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I made sure that, I, I mean, I obviously tried to be healthy, but there were always, um, not an abundance, I wouldn't have like... Mm-hmm. All over my house was all kinds of junk food, but there was definitely junk food, um, and it wasn't restricted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't want it to—I didn't want it to be the forbidden fruit because mm-hmm. for me, it became the forbidden fruit, and you know how badly you want that. So I never wanted, you know, any cookies or chips or you know—I mean, everybody has their foods that they mm-hmm. really gravitate towards. I didn't want it to be forbidden. I wanted it to be, it's out there. I didn't encourage them to eat huge quantities and I didn't offer it for, um, oh, I'm sorry, you have a boo-boo, here's a cookie. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't I didn't want it to be that kind of thing. I didn't want them to set themselves up that I feel bad, I'm hurting, I should have a treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I, I tried to keep the house healthy and to teach them healthy habits but yeah it's fine to have sweets in moderation um you know it's I didn't want it to be forbidden so um and thankfully I'm so grateful um that my kids are again I used I, I know it's a bad term but they're normal eaters um <laughs> I get yeah. this so bad because this is something I'm thinking about and I don't even have kids <laughs> and I'm like for, for God's sake, you know, everything can happen, but don't let them become what, you know, what I have experienced. That is like a true fear. So, oh my gosh, yes, totally um, so fearful with that, with especially my daughter. And I know there mm-hmm. are plenty of boys who have eating disorders, but I think it's more prevalent mm-hmm. in women and girls. And I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, through the years I've seen my daughter say I'm full and push her plate away or, mm-hmm. you know, if she if we were out to dinner she'd say i'm full and she'd bring home a doggy bag which you know part of me on the inside was like wow i would have <laughs> never done that ever i mean i if that food was good i was finishing it that mm-hmm. was it and you know and i would even need some of yours you know there was no thought of me being full had nothing to do with anything for 30 years i just kept eating my my hunger i had I didn't honor my hunger cues at all. I didn't recognize them. I don't even, they just played no role in my life Mm -hmm. at all. Being a little bit full didn't mean anything. I just still needed to eat whatever was there. So to see my daughter, you know, be, oh, here, honey, here's a piece of decadent chocolate cake. And she'd be like, you know what? I'm really not hungry right Mm -hmm. now. And on the inside, I'm like, like, I can't believe that she's 
saying that because I would have never said that. And I'm so proud and so happy that she says, I'm not hungry right now. You know, and you're like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I truly get that. You know, I was eating uh, at a hotel here in nearby with a friend. And in the times that my hunger levels were whack as hell because of, you know, the, the low body fat, I could remember that, you know, I could easily like eat like uh, a half of a bread or something with peanut butter you know the really calorie dense three four thousand calories without any problem and i was sitting there and i was like oh, okay we're eating some um, you know indonesian dish and i came around the half of it i still wanted dessert so i'd still wait for that also and i was like okay this is enough nothing too crazy uh i'm full i'm not having a, you know, a belly ache i believe you know the belly aches as well <laughs> how hard they are uh and it was so normal for me and that was so crazy because i didn't have it in a long time and i have uh, irritable bowel syndrome so when i had yeah when i had these things my stomach was out of the roof and now like you know getting those signals and you know recognizing them and it's like you know you got to stop right there because otherwise we're not going to have a good time <laughs> you know that that was so crazy to have that and it's like the little things that really uh that i find that you know recovery um is so much further for example if somebody would buy me uh, me a cocoa uh, four years ago or something i would be like shit 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 and now I'm like, okay, totally fine, taking that, just go on with my day, thank you for buying that for me, and that's it. <laughs> so, Absolutely. And that is... Yeah, I totally got that. Yeah, before it would have been a whole bunch of other thoughts, mm -hmm. and oh my God, and you know, and also there's the, well, I've already eaten so much, I might as well keep on going, because I've already messed up, you know, you promise you're going to be good that day, mm -hmm. and then you have one thing and that just sets you off and you just keep on going. It's a really vicious circle. Oh, yes. Um, going to the next question. You have a chapter about being in high school, gaining weight during high school, playing sports. And actually what was manifesting when you were, when you were younger was showing now in these years. So you were talking yeah. about, uh, you know, gaining weight, the, the chop rub, you know, the, the ties getting to each other and going to the Burger King. Uh, I find these years really important because I believe, although what I dealt with was during uni, but a lot of eating disorders start during uh, high school. Um, how do you look back at these years when having that? Oh, wow. Um, I, well, that's a good question. I really thought about that. How do I look back at it? Um, those were, it was, it was hard. Um, you know, I, I got teased a little bit. I got teased from my father at home because mm -hmm. I had a big rear end. Um, he thought it was, he thought he was funny, but you know, to tell a teenage girl her butt is big like oh that's you know especially yeah. the most in that that time the most important man in your life mm -hmm. is teasing you so that was pretty bad um and I had you know I was teased um by some other boys at school sometimes um and you know like I said you know that crazy moment I was you know softball was probably my best sport and when the coach had me race against yeah. this girl who was chubby and I and I, you know, I didn't I thought oh my god I'm gonna kick her butt you know because um, I don't look like that and then I just barely beat her and I thought oh my god is is that how I do I look like that to other people do I that was a real eye-opener for me and um you know uh 
I, I just look back and, uh, you know, I remember I would diet and, uh, you know, I lost some weight, I mm-hmm. gained it back and um, I didn't know of anybody else who was doing that. I was the only one and it was shameful and I, I kept it private and it's not like I would say to my friends, hey, I'm going on a diet, you mm-hmm. know, or oh my God, I just not only gained what I lost, but put on more, um, mm-hmm. it was, um, it was hard, um, you know, just getting that age through, after getting through puberty where, you know, you can pretty much eat what you want and then now it's coming back on and having my uniform feel so tight and being so self-conscious, um, yeah, that wasn't, um, that wasn't really fun. <laughs> I get that. I know the thing you were saying about, you know, your dad making like remarks and although he doesn't mean, you know, with a bad heart at all, I had the same with my dad. He always say, you know, you have like, uh, muscular legs and I get that because I'm half Asian and the, 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 the genetics I have from their part gave me these muscular legs and I'm totally fine with it but I do believe like those little remarks and those little things that happen you know they build up just just like uh, just like the weight loss for your sport uh, just like the race that you vividly remember because it did something with you and these steps that yeah it it makes you of course who you are today but it also was a big part of your um, eating disorder because I I remember that way back during my high school I was um, not dorky, but I was normal, but not, you know, uh, I would say not visible, as in I wouldn't stand out, but I was just there. But I never really had that, you know, the feeling that I could be myself, express myself, because actually I always find high school like a, um, approved jail or something like that. It's, yeah, it's like, a, high school's hard. yeah, it's like, uh, j- almost a jail system I find because uh, there are ranks, uh, there's the canteen, you need to eat in this, this amount, and then you need to come back again. And yeah. there are actually clothing rules, although, you know, unwritten clothing rules there are, you know, for every height. Oh, yeah. So for me, it was like, I still like a lot of crazy fashion and pop art and stuff. And way back then, it wouldn't be, you know, doable because of the, right. the you know, the, their trending. And looking back now on that time, and that is already... Uh, I think around eight years ago and I started from 2008 till 2012 and I really found that the most shittiest time although going to a disordered eating or eating disorder phase that was I think way more uh, bad because there wasn't any um, you know soul searching it was only learning and that's it and when I was 17 just like you said you know when you were 50 you were like I know what I want to become and (laughs) I was 17 and they were like you need to choose you know you need to choose your uni and you're going to you know choose for yourself what you're going to do for the rest of your life and that was so crazy because they were like you know holding your hand for four or five years long and now it's like back yeah and you're gonna you know figure it out and do it on your own and it all came with so much together then I was like oh so I really get I must say I get that people get their eating disorders during high school but I actually totally get it why I got it after (laughs) sure sure it's a lot of pressure it's so hard and especially I mean this is a whole other story but especially now with social media Mm -hmm. oh my gosh kids are so mean and 
the whole world knows it, you know, whereas, yeah. you know, back then you would be bullied in school and, you know, maybe a couple kids talked about it, but mm-hmm. now it's like blasted and it's just, oh, I, I don't know how kids do it these days, in all honesty. Um, I'm very happy that I was in that transition phase, so I'm very yeah. thankful and grateful that I didn't have that. Um, For sure. Then I'm going a little bit back in the story again, or maybe not. Uh, you had a dog named Cleo, and uh, it, it was she, right? Cleo is a female, yeah? She was brought as a puppy at home without you really knowing. And during, uh, I was like comparing it a bit with my times, that during my uh, recovery, I got my bond back with my dogs again, because I have two. And when I was like ill, I was like disassociated from them somehow. So sometimes sometimes they comfort me, but sometimes I felt very guilty because it was like I forgot them because I was so busy with myself. How was your relationship with your dog during your eating disorder? Um, uh, I, I kind of feel like she was... Um, this sounds like crazy. I was, even though obviously she couldn't talk, um, she gave unconditional love. And I think that, um, you know, in hindsight now, you know, that's, I think I was kind of missing that. She didn't judge me. Um, not that I necessarily felt judged in my house, but you know what I mean? She just was always there for cuddles and kisses and a belly rub and, and to comfort. And um, I, I, I can't remember specifically, you know, while I was in the middle of a binge or something, mm-hmm. what role she played, but I just know that she was just a comfort to me. I, I think I felt closest to her in the house, mm-hmm. um, and like I said, this sounds awful, but, you know, I I was more upset. She died when she was, um, I think, about 15 years old, um, and I was more upset when she died than when my own grandmother died. Mm-hmm. My, my mother's my mother's mother who was like her I wasn't and again my my mother didn't foster closeness mm-hmm. to her um, and um, I, I didn't even know her that well mm-hmm. uh, so it was more upsetting to me when when Cleo died than you know my own grandmother and my grandmother wasn't mean to me or anything but I I didn't have a bond with her so yeah. the dog I really bonded with um, like I said, even though there was no talking going on, she was just always a love for me, and she was a cuddle, and you know, just someone to someone who just loved me, you know, for me. It's, just it's funny that you so. say that because uh, when you're saying this, you know, it's almost like uh, people put a shame on it when they elevate the word of a dog for them than for a human. Because I'm a bit of a Buddhist, so I believe we're all equal. Uh, but I totally get that at the moment, if you're connected with someone or another specific animal, although you don't talk, although it's a, a butterfly, for example, but if you have that bond and it isn't, uh, you know, reoccurring with a an, person, then I totally get that you value that bond way more than you had with a person or in, in yeah. grandmother in this case, because, um, yeah, it, it's something that comes from both sides. So, yeah, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, I'm get, taking a little hop back again to high school. Sorry for that. 
um, uh, so for me, when I was reading that chapter about, you know, uh, the coach, the running, you know, losing 12 or 14 pounds, um, you were very hyper conscious from your weight from a young age. Um, I didn't have that. So for me, it's still like, you know, going in, like understanding that and you died down for your sport uh back then you lost some and you just like you stated you gained some back again uh for people that are in that position now because i had six months back a hockey player on a high level and she was busy obsessed with her weight you know uh, 65 kg or 67 the two kg difference means if she can or not play or some people who you know those little things stuff like that and i know there are a lot of people that are you know doing like uh sports on a higher level and deal with stuff like you were actually yeah. describing so what is your advice to them that's a, that's a really tough one i think unfortunately that your weight is just such a big deal in sports um, for, and I would almost say more so for women. I mean, obviously for men, like in wrestling, it's very mm-hmm. weight conscious, which I think is terrible. But um, yeah, it's there's a lot of eating disorder in sports. You know, um, some of us, you know, like I, I think I mentioned, you know, my, you, you know, you said, you know, my thighs would be rubbing together, but yet my teammates all had these strong, thin legs that they were running on. And mm-hmm. I, you know, felt bad about that. Um, and I think just a lot of women um, playing sport, especially at a professional level, um, it's hard. You know, there's, everybody's looking at you, you feel that you need to look a certain way mm-hmm. um, and be at a certain weight, you know, maybe you're talking to your friends and um you know you're all around the same height and you weigh the most out of everybody and you know you feel bad about that and you or and you might and what I hope is what I'm sure is the case but I wish wasn't I think there are there are coaches who'd be like hey you need to lose a little bit of weight mm-hmm. so oh, yeah. and that's oh my god just you know here's this person who you probably really look up to and they're telling you to lose weight so um I think that's a that's just like a whole other topic unto itself and um I it's really a shame that that, that goes on that mm-hmm. your weight is so um important to certain people or to you in comparing yourself um mm-hmm. you might be more skilled than the person who weighs less than you so you know what is what's more important you know it's your skills and how you perform yeah. not what the number on the scale is i think that's very good advice when i look at uh, a track runner that i've spoken to and her coach was like you need to lose some weight you know because less is more you'll you'll move faster and these like bias types of way that people think that um saying that that really is what it is and uh you know here in the netherlands we had like an outing of two weeks ago with gymnastics coaches how they verbally abuse physically abuse like female uh gymnastics uh, uh yeah actually when they were small so maybe like eight ten uh and maybe they're now like 30 and just now they're saying you know they let us do this that you know and it's something that goes on in that field so much that i feel that it is a some type of subculture or something you know that is oh yeah mm-hmm. but i totally agree with you that you know they should be focusing on their performance on their on their skills and of course you know food can help with that i mean the, the right amount of carbs maybe for a person that is running stuff like that and the right amount of fluids 
Uh, I think they should maybe more focus on that part than specifically right. the waves. Exactly, exactly. Then I had a question about uh, Michael, the guy you had a relationship with. Um, he was your boyfriend then way back uh, in the book, when I, uh, in the certain chapter. Um, how was it to have that relationship? And although you just stated, you know, with the husband you have for 23 uh, years, you had the first 10 years, you know, that you were still fighting your demons. A lot of people, uh, also me, because I was a bit hesitant, you know, going in a relationship um, with an eating disorder, uh, didn't do it eventually. And I'm kind of thankful to myself. <laughs> but um, how is it to have a relationship and being in an eating disorder at the same time? time because it looks to me like an impossible thing to manage um well again i didn't know i had an eating disorder right mm -hmm. i just i knew i ate a lot of food and i think one of the maybe um, one of the good things about michael was that he was like an eating buddy of mine he mm -hmm. also really liked to eat so around him i could more be, be myself and you know i could take part in you know this appetite or this compulsion that I had to eat, he mm -hmm. went right along with me and, you know, I gained weight, he gained weight. Um, I think a lot of couples do that, mm -hmm. you know, you feel comfortable so you don't have to be on your, you know, I'll have like the salad with yeah. the dressing on the side, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you don't have to do that anymore. So, um, I think Michael was, um, not to sum him up in a couple things. One is that I think he was an eating buddy, which was this whole new great experience for me that I had. Mm -hmm. And second, though um, Michael was so manipulative and just, um, he just he just really, you know, in hindsight, I could see he really kept me down um, so that I couldn't shine. I, I think mm -hmm. he didn't want me to recognize- um, Your potential. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, so he kept me down and never complimented me or really said anything. Um, but at the same time, he was giving me attention. It was negative attention, you mm -hmm. know, and the interaction was, a lot of it was negative, uh, but he was, he needed me. He made it clear, you know, the one time we broke up that he went to therapy and he found out he needed me most. Well, mm -hmm. that just, as awful as he was, I thought, oh my God, he needs me. You mm -hmm. know, never mind my, what I need, he needs me. Yeah. And it was, um, I, I think it just, it was such a good feeling for me to be needed. It was like an attention. I'm not, you know, it all interacted somehow. Nobody needed me in my house. Mm -hmm. But this, this, you know, boy slash man who was telling me how much he needed me. And that was like a, I guess, a love and affection sort of you know, translated to a, a love and affection for me that how, how important I was to somebody, mm -hmm. um, you know, and their well-being. So that was something that when I was looking back about two years ago and there was this guy and I already knew him from my previous uh, uni, stuff like that. And I was like, am I going to do this or not? And me am like being conscious because you just stated, you know, you weren't conscious of having uh, an eating disorder. I was. So I like kind of like tested the water, you know, how would you react on you know, me having that or you know, telling that uh, to you. And he was actually very cool about this, but I really wow. didn't felt that he could 
understand how much impact it could have had on a person because he's like okay you know he had the general public uh, uh knowledge on okay your eating disorders would be you know girls that are very skinny you're past that and now everything is okay um of course it isn't the case otherwise i wouldn't be talking about it till today <laughs> but okay you know of course it, it made a certain impact so i was like mm, i'm not gonna do this and in those two years that now from being 23 to 25 i am so happy that i didn't do that back then because it was such a learning process and i was battling my demons back then and now thank god uh, not but yeah, I think that is funny because it has some positives, just like you like light it, it has, was your eating body, it was something positive about it, but it's also something negative about it. Uh, I think when you have an eating disorder, just for people, you know, that are listening, I'm trying to like think, you know, truly think really about, you know, when stepping into a relationship, uh, think about yourself too, just what, like, you know, it's right. good that you're needed, but think about yourself too and think, um, if you're going to get energy out of this, if this person will be there the way he, uh, if you would be there for him or her, depending. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't on my radar at all. Um, I mean, it just, it, I, I never thought of myself. I, I think just because I had no sense of self, um, you know, or I was never told by anybody, including by you know my ex, how important I was and how you know anything positive about myself my life wasn't about me it was about you know mm -hmm. it became centered on him so yeah it was, I, it was just very negative i get that and you know the funny thing is everybody's their sense of self it comes at different stages or moments in life and depending on you know what you discovered you know what you meet uh i work at a cafe uh where People from America, from Delta, because they work uh, for yeah for the Delta Airlines, then they need a place to stay. So we're right across the hotel. Uh, I meet them there, and I also meet the locals where I live. So I'm at the north side of Amsterdam. These people are very different. So uh, getting to know people that are, you know, maybe a bit of the underdogs of life and have alcoholic problems, smoking problems, cocaine problems, stuff like that. Uh, that contrast of, of going there you know and it's a bit darker that really like helped me you know with self-worth and you know i'm not doing that bad and you see those people those aren't very like um healthy people for you so it gave me like a good filter and that is something i'm very thankful for but it yeah. really depends on what you are experiencing when uh, you get to the point that you are happy with your way of thinking about yourself and your own self-worth and knowing it. I really believe it, it, it there isn't like, uh, of course it's nice when it comes earlier, but there's nothing bad with it when it comes later. Yeah, it took me a very long time to feel my self-worth. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, it's still almost like a work in progress, you know. Um, my husband's amazing and says kind things to me, you mm -hmm. know, on a daily basis, and it's just gradually, you know, building up my, um, you know, a long time now, just gradually building back, you know, after so many years, it's almost, you know, I spent more years in the, the negative, so mm -hmm. to speak, you know, um, than I have in the positive, but it's, it's, it's improved so much, and mm -hmm. I just have so much more self-confidence and self-esteem, um, you know, I still have 
thoughts of feeling that I'm not worthy and so forth. So it still, you know, picks up here and there. But yeah, overall, thank goodness, um, I have a much better sense of self now than, than I used to. And again, that was, that was a point I made of really consciously trying to instill that in my children um, so that they would never have to, you know, go through what I did. I think, you know, that I, I, I sometimes tell to people uh, or clients, you know, um, it's also very important uh, what you say to yourself or when you, uh, how or how many times you compliment yourself because those compliments maybe count even more than the compliments you get from people near you. Yeah. Just like you stated that from your father, it's like that overreacted, you know, over the top compliment that I also get from my dad <laughs> now and then. And I'm like, hmm, really? So yeah, the moment yeah. you can like, you know, tap yourself on the on the shoulder and be like, you did well today, or you did you did a good job. I think those moments are very valuable because often yes. we are our biggest critic. So yeah. yeah, for then, sure. Then the last question, because I think when I'm going to edit this, we're and you know <laughs> around an hour, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that is a kind of you know of a cliffhanger because um, there are five chapters that I like specifically didn't want to like describe or like talk about in uh, this interview because you know it's a good book and if you would like to know more about that I would definitely like recommend you know go and read this book. But that, Thank uh, you. these are, and I'm hopefully I'm going to find them because I have the book in front of me as well. Uh, these are the last five chapters, and that is looking them up right now. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah, I get them, got them right here, and that is chapter 10. Oh, I seem to have a problem attacking recovery, chapter 11 about therapy, chapter 12 about two steps forward, one step back. What I you know, only the title is like so similar for me. Uh, and then uh, chapter 13, telling uh, my younger daughter. And I think that's, you know, people have eating disorders even when they're like older. And a lot of people don't recognize that, that a person that is maybe 30, 40, 50, that has kids can have the eating disorder, that a grandmother can have an eating disorder. So yeah. I find chapter 13 very important because that is also like a big part of, of you know, of this uh, having this, yeah, having or having this disease and uh, making it more, you know, talkable to other people. And then chapter 14, uh, one ending, and chapter 15, what I lost and gained and where I am now. And I think these chapters for me, these are, as a reader, I'm always like looking at for something that can help me out when I am in this problem. And for me, these chapters were like the sum up from giving me an answer. I don't know how you like experienced that, but for me it was like, okay, I'm, after I closed the book, this is what I got out of it. I got the story, I could connect. I was looking back to my own past and, you know, analyzing how my parents were. And in the last chapters, I was like, okay, this is what I got out of the book. And these are the, you're actually like uh, giving answers on my questions. <laughs> that was what I was looking. Okay, yeah. <laughs> to um, show people my journey um, mm -hmm. and you know not only the eating part but the recovery and here are the things that I did and mm -hmm. they may not be exactly what you do 
but this is what worked for me. Yeah. Um, and how I, it was a struggle. It wasn't a straight line. It was, okay, I'm doing great. And then I would kind of go backwards and mm-hmm. I would do good and I would do go backwards. So it's, it's, you know, recovery is a squiggly line. It's not a straight line. Um, and you need to be kind to yourself as I learned in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever you have any sliding, you know, when you take those steps back is to treat yourself as you would a friend. You wouldn't say to your friend, oh my God, you're such a horrible idiot that you, ate that or you had another binge you would tell your friend you know what it's okay Mm -hmm. put it behind you and move forward so it was really important to learn to treat myself with kindness Mm -hmm. if I did kind of go backwards um but uh yeah I really the the really big message was that um you know you can recover and like I said your your recovery may not look exactly like this but if this gives you ideas um, and things to talk about, or if you see yourself in some of it, and I, you know, I made it, um, I really wanted to include some of the things my therapist said to me that were important to me, because mm-hmm. maybe they're also going to be important to somebody who's reading it and who's trying to recover, you know, there's just these little nuggets here and there, yeah. that, you know, you start to go, oh, you know what, that makes sense, and that, that applies to me, and maybe that's something I can do in my life, so mm-hmm. I really, like I said, I wanted to pay the recovery forward, and I mm-hmm. wanted to share how I got there. Yeah, so that was actually, well, because (laughs) choosing the right word sometimes, because going from Dutch to English is sometimes still a puzzle, (laughs) not really much, because it's like almost my first time, but because of how uh, I'm doing this setting now, uh, I think like the, the last five chapters give you, as a reader, a lot of ideas on what you can do, which steps you can make, you know, talking about therapy, talking about the triathlon, stuff like that, what you can do to uh, even little steps or little ideas from going further with recovery or starting with recovery. So yeah, I really like those chapters. Um, then the last question, and I, I hope this is a bit of a cliffhanger that people are going to read the book, and that is, you talk about your first big breakthrough in the book. Could you describe it for the listeners? Sure. Um, yeah, this was really huge for me. Um, I had this wonderful therapist who I didn't even know what was happening or why she was doing it. Obviously, she knew what she was doing, mm-hmm. but she had me do a guided imagery where she had me, um, as an adult, um, she, she relaxed me and she had me as an adult, as you know, my current self, go for a walk, a peaceful walk, and come upon a young version mm-hmm. of myself, and she instructed me, what would you say to her, and I, I almost feel like I'm filling up again right now, mm-hmm. um, but I, what I did was say to her all the things that weren't said to me as a little girl, that I, I wished my mom and or dad told me that I was... Um, the most special thing to them and that I was important and that I was beautiful and that um, I could do whatever I dreamed of and that they were behind me and how much they loved me Mm -hmm. Um, and I got to in this guided imagery um, and I really saw and I really felt it I was hugging this little girl and stroking her and giving her all this love that she didn't get Mm -hmm. Um, and I was giving it to her and it was just that I didn't even know 
what's going on. You know what I mean? I didn't know that that was even the problem. Mm-hmm. So that was just so emotional. It was such a big breakthrough of healing this little girl inside of you that never heard those things and was finally being able to hear them. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just huge for me. And I think just sort of set me on a, a really good path. I really, I, I really like that because, um, a lot of people like uh, always say, you know, you, you got to try therapy and then, then there's negative or positive, you know, people who like in the beginning, I didn't want any therapy. I eventually went to a social worker and that was kind of therapy and the dietitian who helped me out was kind of therapy as well. If I look back at it now and would step four years back, I would have done therapy. I would have done that. And uh, I find it so nice how you like emphasize what therapy did for for you, of course, it doesn't have all the answers, and you, you people shouldn't come there with expecting that the person has the answers, but the person can nudge you so you can give the answers to yourself. And I yeah. think that is very important, and that's why people should give it a try because I feel like with an eating disorder, so much is going on. You know, you're afraid uh, you gain weight, you you're over exercising, your health is on the line. You know, so much. And that a lot of it is uh, walking around the bush uh, while the problems are very near because you have the answers on your problems. It's just somebody who needs to make it clear what was going on and then give you the tools on how you can, you know, uh, defeat your demons. So, yeah. 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 And I, and you know, you go to therapy and you think, oh, I'll be there for a session or two and I'll have this lick and I'll be good. And it just doesn't work that way. The therapist really doesn't, just like you said, therapy therapist doesn't give you answers. The therapy almost gives you the questions um, mm-hmm. and helps you process things and helps you to come to the conclusions and helps you understand what happened. They don't just go, here's your problem, here's what you're going to do. It doesn't yeah. work that way. And it takes time and it takes patience. And I remember I couldn't wait to go to therapy because yes. I was so excited to keep digging in and learning and processing everything. Um, that was such a positive thing for me. At first, I was upset that I wasn't, I wanted to be better after two sessions. What's mm-hmm. going on? Why? You know, and that's what you think going in. But it took, you know, two different therapists and, um, and it did take time and it takes work on your part. And, you know, you really have to kind of peel back the onion. They're helping you to peel back the onion. You know, what what got you to this point and why are you feeling this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the food doing for you? Yeah. You know, um, really makes you, they don't, they don't tell you. They make you think and make you, they guide you to help you figure it out. Yes. And the funny thing is because you're like very enthusiastic and you're going to therapy. And I wish a lot of people would be like that because I know a lot of people who are like, I didn't a treatment center for the, uh, for eating disorder, stuff like that. It's always like something on there. Ugh, I need to do this. And you know, the right. moment that you cannot see that something is worth like gold, I don't know what the saying is in, in English, but uh, something has value, but you cannot see the value of it and you're treating it not with your, you know, with the proactive uh, way of going there, but more like, Ugh, I need to sit here for an hour. I'm not going to be fully open. Maybe, you know, a lot of people lie as well. And they're not, right. not using the, the the full capacity of a therapist. And then they go away and they're like, this isn't work. You know, it, it doesn't work. And that is something I really would like to emphasize for listeners that just like you are proactive, you know, you're curious on what's going on and how you can fix it. Uh, This is something that if you go 
that way to therapy, you'll get the most out of it. And you're not, you know, after 60 minutes are done, you're not like, oh, this doesn't work, this doesn't work for me. Uh, I don't have a problem or um, my eating disorder is too strong, you know, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I, I always think that's very uh, sad because they do not put a program, you know, most of the uh, programming treatment places are, you know, the food part, uh, uh, speaking, uh, just like the, you speaking, um, anonymous eaters uh or overeaters anonymous what was it <laughs> yeah um and it's like a whole like almost like um education you walk uh, a part of education you walk and the moment you don't use all the attributes that's given to you is the moment it is becomes unstable and that is what a lot of people do sadly uh, nowadays and yeah therapy is one big part of what where you know a lot of them you know say you know that's that's bullshit right well and, and going to therapy takes two right you need mm -hmm. a good therapist but you have to come in open-minded yeah you have to come in willing to be able to dig into your past you need to be as honest as possible if you're not willing to do those things then the you're yes you're going to be like this therapist isn't helping me um you have to play your part not just you know be sitting there being like all right you may be better you have to really actively participate and be open-minded and be as open and honest as you possibly can to give the therapist the tools it's, you know it's a give and take they can only do so much with what, if you don't tell them everything and you keep secrets, they can't give you what all you need. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, I it's get a that. Mix, you know, relationship. Well, I think that's a good way to maybe like end this interview. But before I do that, would you still like to say something about the book? Where is it available? How much is it? Uh, shipping stuff like that. Um. Yeah, I mean, just the book is available on Amazon.com, and it's in paperback and Kindle. Um, I'm not sure if the pricing is different mm -hmm. in the Netherlands, um, but um, it's $14.99 for the paperback. It's $4.99 for the Kindle. Mm -hmm. um, it also can be bought on Barnes & Noble, um, paperback $14.99. The Nook is $4.99. I don't know if you want to like put all these numbers in, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so it's available in both formats on either of those websites. Okay. Um, and again, if you're, I suppose if you're an Amazon Prime member, you know, the shipping's free. So however you want to, um, I guess, work that queenie, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes, that's just, just good information, like basic information that I do think that's like uh, needed because here in the Netherlands we have bol.com. So other other sites and Amazon is used as well, but not that prominent. So it's good to have that out there just in case people are curious about that. So Great. I think I'm going to thank you for this. Well, I am going to thank you for this interview, of course. Uh, You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and I found it very nice that you like reached out to me because um, I've been doing these uh, first 11 episodes of you know, yours going to be, become 12 I did it on my own uh, I've reached out to other people and thank god they said yes so other interviews will become well I think there are coming four in the upcoming two months so I'm very pleased with that and these are just people just like you you know they're sharing their experience some are very like into uh, the hormonal problems the period part uh, because I had a lot of like issues with that even you know when the eating disorder ended way you know quickly but I still have the body issues from that you know the effects 
Uh, and the other one, we'll talk about, you know, binge uh, eating and restrictive cycles, stuff like that. And I just am very happy and grateful that you wanted to talk about this, um, the other people that are going to talk about it, because I feel like still, although we have the sites and stuff like that, um, Instagram is a place where a lot of information, you know, gets thrown at you. And often it's about uh, exercise, weight loss, diet, fat burner, stuff like that. And there isn't a place where people just can be them or there's a, there isn't a place where they can heal. So I find it very important that two people who are like busy for people that they can heal more or, you know, get ideas how to recover, that they can come together and help them out when they're maybe like walking their dog when they're listening this, uh, this is a podcast. So thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, just like I stated in the interview, the last five chapters, I haven't like very much you know ask about it the reason i did that is because as an interviewer i wanted to have a bit of a cliffhanger for you listeners on what are in those last five chapters there's a big part of recovery about it you know she's talking about how a triathlon helped her about going to therapy about talking about it with like her daughter um, what you know where she is now and how stuff is going and she's just trying to give you an insight on maybe you this could help or maybe because of reading this you know you get activated for recovery so again if you're interested in the book please check it out in the description the link is there and I'm just gonna say it out again it is available on Amazon and If you like the podcast, please follow it wherever you are hearing it. And yeah, if you would like to share it, that would be great. Because at the end of the day, I'm doing this in my free time. And I don't have a lot of free time. So yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you next week on episode 13. And see you then. Thank you for listening to the I'm Stuff podcast. If you would like to know more, you can go to imstuff.nl and start working on your relationship with your food, body, and mind. And I'll see you the next time.